Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. So, so grab your Bible out real quick. Why you just stay standing? I'll let you sit, sit in a moment. But Colossians, go to Colossians together. Colossians together, Colossians chapter three, because we have one more element of the unseen realm that we need to talk about in this series, Where the Hell is Heaven? Colossians chapter three, verse one, it says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your real life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. For our final instalment today in this series, Where the Hell is Heaven? We're gonna talk about heaven. We're gonna talk about heaven today. You ready for the Word of God? All right, go quickly, find 15 people, high five them and take your seat, go. 15, 15, 15, go get them, get them, get them, get them, get them, go, go. Thank you, worship team, amazing. As I mentioned, it's so good to have Nick and Rob and the Mats here from the Forefront Production team. Uh, I'm excited, I don't expect you to be excited, but I've literally known uh, some of these guys for over 25 years. 25 years ago, uh, I walked into Nick's and Matt's church and Matt was leading worship with his wife, Kathy, and uh, now he's doing our audio setup and it's really cool because 25 years ago, uh, we at our church, we hosted this, and we were talking about this just the other night, catching up, and uh, we are talking about how, remember, remember when we hosted that, that outreach drama called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames? Anybody ever witnessed that? It, like, it kind of like moved across Christendom, across the globe. And if you ever grew up in a, I guess, a charismatic church, you would have no doubtedly hosted or participated in a citywide event called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. It was an outreach drama. And when it was coming to our town and our church had the privilege of being the host church to host it, I said, I'm gonna sign up. I fancy my dramatic skills. This is my moment to take the stage. And I, I, I auditioned for the role of Jesus. I thought if I'm gonna go for any role, why not for, the, why not for the, the top one, you know what I mean? However, they cast me as a drunk kid. I don't know what that has to say about my acting ability, but, but I was cast as a drunk teenager. I was 15 at the time, and, and I can remember, uh, you know, just not figuring out, I remember even in the conversation, I had two other guys with me, and I grew up in the church, right? And so when it came to like performing the role of, of drunk teenager, they said, so, so you guys have been drunk before, right? And I'm like, I'm 15. I was going for Jesus. That's what I, I knew how to play that part. And so, and so I remember it, night one, opening, had a five night showing, sold out in the university theater, Sold out, completely sold out. And I remember 
that they put the cast up in the bleachers, right up in the loft, like kind of like our box seats. You had to sit right up there when, when you were waiting for your segment of the, the show. And because our section was right here, and this was a crazy, like I'm talking crazy performance where they had these different scenarios depending on what you do on earth. And then each different scenario would end up dying. I think we died in like a train hit us or something like that, something morbid. Anyway, yeah, that's right. We, we were drunk and we were stumbling across a train track, not paying attention. And then we got wiped out by a train. The next thing we know, we are standing before the head angel with the book of life. And, and what they would do each and every scene, they would look through the book of life to locate your name. Depending on what you did while on earth would depend on if your name was in the book of life and they would search furiously for it. Some they would find the name and then all of a sudden this bright light would come out and they'd be welcomed by Jesus Himself into heaven. But for some of us whose name wasn't in the book of life, everything went dark. The ground began to rumble. The hordes, the demons of hell came out and they would begin to, with screaming and gnashing of teeth, drag people into hell. It was a family affair. <laughs> well, my funnest memory was night one, night one watching the opening. As we were sitting up in the loft, I, I, I was recalling that on night one, and we hadn't really done a full dress rehearsal because you know how church is working together, that ain't fun, but, but we hadn't done a full dress rehearsal. Night one was the full dress rehearsal and the opening scene was a stage full of angels. All these ladies, they got that wrong because we learned that angels were actually men anyway, but they had all these ladies in white robes and as they lit from behind the lighting, all of a sudden, everyone in the audience realised that their robes are see-through. And all the women are doing this pose. I was sitting with my buddies. We all looked, eyes wide open. My buddies looked at me and he said, this is heaven. <laughs> Never forget. You know, in reflection, they took a lot of poetic license in that play. A lot of poetic license. However, they also surprisingly got a lot accurate. And today I want us to take a biblical approach. I came to give you a lot of Bible today. I have nothing from the Quran. I've got nothing from anything other than the Bible today. I'm gonna give you a full biblical perspective of heaven. So I'm hoping that you have got your notepad ready. You're gonna to have to fact check me on all these scriptures. That's what the Bible says. Make sure you check the pastor and what he's preaching. I have got the Word of God for you today. So make sure you fact check me. Write these scriptures down. Flip through them in your own Bible. We will even put them on the screen because I wanna give you what is what I'm phrasing as the biblical approach to heaven. And the reason I wanna do that is because there are a lot of books that you can find out there from people's experiences of heaven that, that really people have claimed to have gone to heaven. Now, I'm not here to argue their claims except to say a lot of their claims simply sell a lot of books and make bank and even get movie scripts, but don't actually line up with the biblical narrative of heaven. Therefore, we are not gonna put our trust in a man's vision. We're gonna put our trust in the Word of God. I wanna help you. So, so it may come across very theological, a little doctrinal, a little teaching today. So, so ready your hearts and your minds and lean in. And what I wanna do is, like we have been doing every single week of this series, is I wanna bust some myths today. I wanna start out by busting some myths 
around heaven. Are you ready? Firstly, it is rumoured that heaven is going to be a non-stop worship service for eternity. And this is actually partly true, but not in the way you think. Not in the way you think. Most of us here have a certain perspective of worship. You know, if you grew up in more of a liturgical setting, then worship was something that you endured through silently for 50 minutes. And even if you've just grown up in Vive Church, like VoxGen, if you've grown up in Vive Church and all you know is epic worship, all you know is like high notes, power ballads, all you know is like nonstop adrenaline worship, then still you're thinking, I can't stand for eternity. It's a long time, need to eat. Not even, I don't even think like the most avid worship leader can stand the thought of nonstop eternal worship. However, in heaven, we will be engaged in constant worship, but not the way you think. You see, worship doesn't just consist of you singing songs and raising your hands. The Bible describes worship as involving your whole life and giving glory to God. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, So whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Likewise, in Colossians 3, 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So this means that while in heaven, in heaven we will be, Perfect beings, okay? I need you to get that concept. Completely sinless. And our whole existence will be in constant worship. And since we will be glorifying God in everything we do, everything we do will be worship. Are you with me? Since our whole lives will be glorifying God, everything you do, and we'll talk about what you're gonna do in heaven, uh, everything you do will be considered Worship to God. In fact, many biblical scholars believe that the Garden of Eden is our best picture of heaven activity. Not only does Genesis reveal that Adam and Eve lived in the presence of God, even walking with Him in the cool of the day. I love that concept. I love that line. I love that detail that that Scripture gives us, the activity of of heaven that, that Adam and Eve and God would often just walk in the cool of the day. One of my favorite things, Kira and I, we go for a walk around our neighborhood and we just chat and we talk and we get inspiration from other people's places and, and it's, just, it's just full of inspiration. Just imagine doing that with God. Just walking, just chatting, just chilling, just cutting it up with Jesus. And this is what we see in scripture. We get that, that idea But what also we see in the garden is God gave Adam a task. Essentially gave him a job where where he was able to exercise his creative ability by naming all the animals. This is such a cool concept that, that when God placed Adam in the garden, he said, you're not just gonna chill and play video games. I'm giving you a job. Now, now depending on what your current job is, that may sound like a terrible thing. But you gotta understand that work is actually a blessing. Significance comes from what you do, what you put your hand to, connected to what you have been given, your giftings, your attributes, your intelligence, your creativity. And God doesn't just give you those things so you can sit on them. God gives you those things so that you can employ them in life. It's the same way in heaven. God will give us the privilege of undertaking activities that will complement our intelligence, employ our creativity, 
and all of it will be an expression of worship. One of the greatest expressions of worship to God is when you serve God with all your might, all your strength, all your power. When you put your intelligence to work, when you outwork your creativity. Do not fall into the trap that think, thinking heaven is, is just constant prayer and constant worship. What you do as a creative being, as a gifted being, as an anointed being, will be worship to God. Are you with me? You're tracking with me. Now let's get our mind around it a little bit more because the second myth that we have is that heaven is either a state of mind or a place where our spirits simply float around. This is biblically inaccurate for several reasons. For starters, heaven is a real place. It's mentioned in the Bible 493 times in 464 verses. It's a place where the redeemed will have real bodies, much like the resurrected body of Jesus. In essence, we will be in heaven with a glorified version of our current bodies. You see, God created humans, body and soul together. Genesis 2.7 says that God formed man from the dust of the earth, right? And he breathed life into his nostrils. And that, that life, that word life is the ruah, the spirit of God was breathed into man and he became a living creature. 2 Corinthians 4.16 reveals that we consist of both an inner self and an outer self. Check it out, it says, so we do not lose heart, Paul says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's trying to weave this understanding of heaven and preparing our minds and our hearts for what eternity will look like. Are you staying with me? Got to give me feedback today. I'm trying to teach you some stuff, but I need to know you're with me in this great big auditorium all the way to the back, up in the bleachers, up in the box seats. I need to, need to know you're with me. It's important to note that death results in the separation of the body and the soul. So when our... When, when, our, when our bodies, when we die and our bodies go to the grave, our soul will go to be with the Lord. And this separation continues until resurrection, as you will find explained in John chapter 5, verse 28. In fact, to give you a, a really weighty scripture around this, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 real quick? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 will give you a very weighty understanding of how this works out. And we'll put it up on the screen also. It says 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, for we know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God Himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we wanna put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God Himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, He has given us His Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we'll be at home with the Lord. 
So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. For we must stand before Christ and be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. In fact, there's more I want to reveal about that, about what your body's going to be like in heaven, but we'll come back to that in a minute because while I could keep on busting myths and misconceptions around heaven, why don't we just simply explore what Scripture reveals for us? And there are, when approaching the idea of heaven, there is ultimately two aspects or, or two questions that we want to use to frame what heaven will be like. And the two aspects are what and where. Like, what is heaven going to be like and where the hell is it? That's, that's the question that we want to answer. Firstly, let's, let's look at where. Where is heaven? Well, that depends on which heaven you're talking about. There's multiple heavens. See, the Hebrew word for heaven is a word that explains, literally means the heights. I'm not gonna try and pronounce it. I've got some Hebrew speakers in here. You can have a crack at it, but, but, but I don't wanna offend you and your education and your background, so I'm not even gonna try. But it literally means the heights. The heights, the heavens or the heights. And it's used variously in Scripture to refer to three different places or heavens. The first heaven being, of course, the atmospheric heavens or the sky. When you look up and you see the, the sun, you see the clouds, you see where the rain comes from. The Bible talks often about the sky. The Bible refers to it in Genesis 7 when talking about Noah and the flood. It says, And the windows of heaven were opened, and rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. The second heaven is the planetary heaven or the realm of space. It's where Elon loves to go. It's beyond earth's atmosphere and is essentially the celestial heavens. In fact, talking about the sun and the, the moon and the stars, Genesis 1.17 says it this way, and God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from darkness, and God saw that it was good. Now, the third heaven is the one we're almost interested in. I mean, those who don't know Christ are absolutely fascinated and fixated on the second heaven, the celestial heaven. In all their wisdom, they want to explore the second heaven. Is there life in the second heaven? You can spend your whole life gazing at stars and gazing at all these brilliant black holes and phenomena and searching for moisture out there and is there sustainability out there? You could search your whole life looking for life, but all that does is point to the life in the heaven above. The third heaven, it's meant to cast glory, not in that heaven, but to cause you to go searching for the heaven. Heaven where Christ sits, it's the third heaven, it's where the Apostle Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 12 when he refers to being caught up in the third heaven. It's a place where God dwells with His angels and the saints that have died. The Bible reveals that the other heavens will pass away, but this heaven is eternal. And it's located in a dimension outside of the universe and within the realm of the unseen. 
It's not measured by distance. Within the seen realm, it's, it's in another dimension. It's in the unseen realm. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please go back to week one. It's gonna frame all of this beautifully for you. Now, because God is omnipresent, meaning He can be anywhere He wants to, and He can be anywhere and everywhere. He can show up here, and He can show up here and everywhere else on the globe. Even the Bible says, I go to the depths, and you are still there. So, so not even hell is off limits for God. He can go anywhere He wants to. And because He's omnipresent, He can be anywhere, but he's not which means He's not restricted to heaven. It is the place, however, where He dwells. That's not to say that God is contained to heaven, but it is identifiably His home, the center of kingdom operations, and the place where His throne resides. It's where Jesus ascended to and now sits on the right hand of the Father, and it's where He was referring to when He taught the disciples how to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, and went on to say, Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven using heaven as the picture and the model of how we should usher in here on earth. He's saying with me. While there are so many scriptures we could explore to back this up, this is simply referring to where heaven is currently. Currently. Can I take us a degree deeper for a second? I know it's Sunday. I know you just came up to be blessed. I want to make sure I... Measure out how deep we go at what level, you know, just getting in the, in the shallow end. But let's go a little deeper. Let's wade in and let's be willing to just swim a little bit in the Scripture. Because, because what that passage and what these other passages describe is where heaven is currently. Currently. Currently, heaven resides in the dimension of the unseen realm. You see, eternal heaven will be vastly different from the current heaven in that it will be more expanded from the heaven where God dwells now. The Bible actually reveals that in the end, when God comes to fulfill His plan, He will remake the heavens and the earth, essentially merging His heaven with this earth in a perfect dwelling place that will be our home forever. In other words, the unseen will become the seen and expand to encompass all of the universe. Second Peter 3.13 puts it this way, but according to His promise, we are waiting for our new heavens and for a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Different scriptures prophesy a massive renovation of heaven and earth that will eventually result in all the saints eternally dwelling in that place with God. And the setting being after the return of Jesus and the battle of Armageddon in Revelation 19, go and read it for some good homework, where Satan and the ungodly will be sentenced to hell and everything else will be made perfect. Everything that remains will be purified. Everything else that remains will be, will, will be made literally perfect. I know that's a hard concept to get your head around. See, this, this place that the Bible talks about is currently being prepared for us. Jesus told the disciples in John 14, three, he said he must go so that he could prepare a place for them. In fact, if we were to answer the next question of what, not just where is heaven, but what will heaven be like, we could simply say the word perfect. Heaven will be perfect. 
this is, as I mentioned, something so difficult to get our heads around because I know you're having a hard time of trying to think of yourself as perfect because while you might present perfection, you very well know who you are. <laughs> you know your thoughts, you know how you are on the 101, you know when, you, you know when you're getting aggravated at work and you're like, just be perfect. No matter how much you try, you cannot attain perfection. However, through the power of God and His redemptive plan, He will make everything perfect. Because everything we know and everything we experience right now is filtered through sin and imperfection. We, we have, we've never known anything in this life that isn't affected by sin. In fact, the entire earth suffers, the Bible says, and groans under the weight of sin. However, through the perfect work of Jesus, we will be made perfect. Heaven is a perfect place for a people made perfect. Let me say that again so you can write it down. Heaven is a perfect place for a people who have been made perfect by the perfect work of Christ Jesus. If you don't believe in God's ability to make you perfect, you don't believe that He can do a perfect work. Because a perfect work doesn't fall short. It is fully completed. You are being perfected. You ain't perfect yet. You ain't perfect. No, no matter how hard you look for the perfect son-in-law, he doesn't exist. I know, I already prepared my heart. But I have to believe he's being perfected. Hopefully to attain the perfection of my daughters. You see, heaven, heaven is the realm where death is fully conquered. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 reveals this, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. In heaven, there's no sin. In heaven, there's no sorrow. In heaven, there's no sickness. There's no suffering. There's no separation. And while Revelation gives us some fascinating descriptions and aspects of heaven, I find it easier to understand what heaven will be like by what won't be there. Can I, can I explain that for you? For instance, there won't be any needs because God supplies all that we need. What a crazy concept that there won't be any temptation because the world, the flesh, and the devil will be absent. There won't be any persecution. There won't be any division. There won't be any disunity. There won't be any hate. There won't be any quarrels or disagreements or even disappointments. There won't be any weeping because there'll be nothing to make us sad. In fact, this this may seem strange. Maybe it may, may seem strange to hear and it won't be easy to process, but there actually won't be any prayer in heaven. I'm just trying to let you think about it for a second. There won't be any fasting in heaven. Praise God, someone said. <laughs> there also won't be any repentance in heaven because there'll be no need for it. There will be no need for prayer because prayer is the medium that connects heaven and earth. But when heaven fills earth, you will just speak and God will respond. You'll be speaking, you'll be, remember, walking with God, talking with God communing with God. It won't be through prayer. It'll just be talking, just chatting it up. How are you doing today, Jesus? 
So, so, so prayer is a powerful medium of the saints on earth. It's our heavenly language. It's how we connect with heaven here on I'm trying to wrap your mind around something because I'm trying to go somewhere this morning. I ain't gonna teach all morning long. I am gonna get to preaching at you. Don't worry about that. I need to wrap your minds around the concept of heaven. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 reveals that in heaven, we'll also have perfect knowledge. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully as, even as I have been fully known. That's so cool. That's so cool that you're not just a number in heaven. I don't know who I'm ministering to right now. This ministered to me. This understanding and this revelation that, because I thought maybe, uh, man, I don't want to be like in the background when everyone's high-fiving Abraham. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's Moses. Who are you? you know, I don't. <laughs> Nobody's going to be unknown. You're going to be fully known. You're gonna <laughs> and the reason you'll be fully known is because you've got nothing to hide. You have no version of yourself that you present to everyone else and the version that God knows you. God knows your heart. Your heart will be revealed. You will be fully known, fully loved, not just by God, but by the community of heaven and by the body of Christ, you will be known. That's cool. That's cool. That's so cool for anybody who's had shame or guilt or carried the weight of their past to know that everything will be redeemed. You get a brand new start and you'll be known just like Abraham, just like Paul, just like the apostles. People will be high-fiving you as well. You'll be fully known, completely and comprehensively. This means that you will have no more unanswered questions because you'll have knowledge. There'll be no more confusion. There'll be no more ignorance. And, 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 and I love this. this, this one's gonna bend your mind a little bit. There will be no more need to walk by faith. Right now you walk by faith. The Bible instructs us, walk by faith, not by sight. Because heaven is in the unseen. It's trying to connect us with the unseen even though we live in the seen. But when we're in heaven, we don't need to walk by faith because we walk by sight. Everything you see will be the reality of what your faith has hoped for, what your faith has believed for. You'll literally be able to trade up that faith vision for sight vision. The glory of God will be evident in everything you see, so you will no longer need faith. Can I go deeper? There won't be hope in heaven. The hope in heaven is here on earth. Romans, let me, let, me, let me talk to you about Romans for a second because in Romans 8.24 it says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope at all. For who hopes for what they see? Hope is our hold for earth. We sung about it, our blessed hope that the reason we have hope on this earth is because we can't see what's in the unseen or what's to come, but our hope is anchored in what Christ has given us. He gave us His Holy Spirit as a guarantee and we hold onto that guarantee. The only reason you, okay, the reason you get given a guarantee in life, okay, you get given a guarantee when you buy a garment or you buy a car or you buy something, you get a written guarantee that if this breaks, you get a replacement, you know what I mean? You hold that guarantee. Well, God says, you know what? I'm gonna back up my word by giving you my 
Spirit. There is an unbreakable guarantee that you can hold hope onto that in this end, as it all boils down to it, you have eternity in your heart. Hope is for here. Hope isn't for then. Then you won't need hope because you just look and see. You'll taste and see. The Lord is, is good. I don't know why this ain't spinning you out like it's spinning me out, but I love the idea of heaven. As I mentioned earlier, the Bible doesn't just reveal what heaven will be like, but also what we will be like. I love this. <laughs> See, essentially, the best way to understand what we will be like in heaven is by uh, realizing that our resurrected bodies uh, will be earthly bodies glorified. You don't just get to pick someone's physique. <laughs> but you'll get a glorified version. What does that mean? It means you'll have the same qualities as Jesus' glorified body. You see, after He rose from the grave, He appeared to the disciples and they recognised Him. And also they, they felt the nail piercings in His hand. So there was a physical element to His glorified body, yet at the same time, He could just appear, walk through walls. What does that mean? He'll have skin? I'm not, the Bible doesn't suggest you'll have the skin like the skin you have right now. I was in the sun yesterday doing a wedding. That's why my skin got sunburned. But the same God who can make scales for fish and fur for animals and skin for humans has a supernatural glorified version of our heavenly bodies that can be both felt and unfelt, that can walk through things and appear in things. And even in one aspect that says that Jesus ate several times in His glorified body with the disciples. Good news to anybody like me that loves food, there's food in heaven. <laughs> Ain't heaven without it. <laughs> someone who likes food next to you. No, don't do that, don't do that, no. <laughs> Luke 24, 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Why did He say peace? Because they freaked out. We see in Scripture that Jesus also ate with the disciples many times in His resurrected bodies and our bodies will be exactly like that. Now, all of this is really fascinating. It's certainly exciting when you begin to dig into what heaven is gonna be like, but I know exactly what you're thinking. What's the purpose of knowing all this? Even if we begin to un unpack more details about heaven, I don't have the time to do every detail. I'm trying to whet your appetite so that you would go and feed on the Word of God for yourself. But even if we spend a whole lecture all day sitting in this beautiful auditorium, unpacking every detail of heaven. What's the purpose of knowing all this? What does that change in my life? Well, let's go back to our main Scripture, Colossians 3. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Think about the things of heaven. 
What does this mean? Well, the Apostle is not suggesting that we escape the reality of earth by dreaming of heaven. (laughs) He is, however, illuminating how we endure this life because of the certainty of heaven. That what you have as one of the saints is this characteristic called Christian endurance. It's, It's been present with the saints since the church began that amidst all kinds of opposition and persecution, the church has endured, the saints have endured, that even when the pressure came on the church, the church held true to their faith and even men martyred because of their faith. Even the threat of death could not diminish their faith. In fact, what the enemy and all kinds of opponents to God have been baffled at, that when the persecution comes on the church, their faith gets stronger. That's a bizarre concept. They thought that when they put pressure on the church, they would buckle, that their faith would diminish, that they would shrink back and say, oh, I'm out of this. Many religions do, but when it comes to followers of Christ Jesus, in the midst of pressure, the saints get fortified, their faith gets stronger, because we have this hope that the eternal glory far outweighs the glory here. Faith is secured in heaven. I set my sights on that reality. Not to say there aren't present realities that are opposing me, but I set my sights on that reality. It's a reality of heaven where Christ sits at the place of glory and honour and what He made a way for me, He will also bring me into. Because we know that earth is temporal and heaven is eternal. Because we know this, we can be way bolder in the way we live this life. Like I would get hesitancy living if you were uncertain about what was coming. We used to, in my hometown in Newcastle, it's all on the coast and there's these big cliffs and one of the things we used to love to do is go do cliff jumping. And you jump off these gigantic cliffs into the ocean. It's hilarious the people doing it for the first time because they don't know what's down there. Don't know how deep it is. Don't know if there's sharks, <laughs> rocks, sharp things. It's a long way to jump when you don't know what's there. And you watch them, they, they run and then they... build up their courage, take a few steps back, close their eyes, run, hold. Because they're uncertain about what's it gonna be like? What's it gonna feel like? But then you see those that have jumped before. They're like, hold my shirt, boom, jump straight in. They know exactly what they're gonna meet when they hit that water. I'm telling you, when you have a conviction about what you're gonna meet when you transition from this life to the left, you don't live this life with hesitancy. You don't live this life on the edge wondering. You run hard with boldness because you're assured of a glad welcome. What God has laid up for me, I'm not wondering, I'm convicted. This is why the Bible speaks so much about what's to come, what we can expect. What Paul is talking about here is a different worldview. To not just have a worldview based of what you see and what you experience in this life, but building a worldview, a Christian worldview 
that incorporates the reality of heaven. If your worldview and your perspective does not have the reality of heaven involved at its core, you do not have a Christian worldview. What you have is a worldly worldview. You have an earthly worldview. You are considering everything, every decision, every paradigm, every philosophy, every emotion, every thought through the filter of the here and the now. But what you're missing is the redemptive power of God, getting a worldview that rises above, that looks from a different vantage point, that you're not bogged down in arguments of the world because you have insight, you have foresight from God. So I'm not weighted with the arguments of the world. I'm not worried about economic instability. I'm not caught up in political pressures. I'm not saying don't be involved, don't use your heavenly worldview to influence your perspective, but don't be dismayed by it. What a crazy notion that I would be emotionally bankrupt by something that happens in a political system of the earth when I'm a resident of heaven. My worldview isn't based on what happens here. Uh, We're gonna reverse it. Don't think about that from what happens here. Think about here from what happens there. Because of my Christian worldview, I'm not ignorant to the spiritual dynamics that are at work. I'm stable. I'm able to be stable even when facing persecution. In fact, what if you were to let this understanding settle in your minds for a moment? It's what Paul said to the Colossians. He said, don't think about the things of earth, set your mind on the reality of heaven. Right now, I don't know what pressure you're facing, but I do wanna not just preach you, I wanna train you on how to have a heavenly perspective. So do something right now, close your eyes. Close your eyes. What would it look like to not just fixate on your problems day in, day out, but to bring your problems under the great power of heaven. To put it up against eternity. We get so fixated with temporal things when we look through a worldly worldview, but when we look through a Christian worldview, incorporating heaven into it, it puts into perspective the temporal issues that get us so bogged down and so weighed down that we miss the reality of eternity. The power of God to even though you don't see the immediate change, to know that His hand is on it, and He will bring it to completion and to perfection to put my trust in God, who maybe even in the immediate is allowing me to go through something, to produce something that I can't see from a temporal perspective, but when I apply heaven, I see it from a different vantage point. In fact, when I see it from a heavenly perspective, I do what Paul says and I say, God have your way. 
God, don't shortcut the process because what You're producing in me has a heavenly weight to it. It has an eternal glory to it. So God, do Your work. Do the work. Even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of obscurity, God, do Your work. It changes the way you pray. You're not constantly praying, God, get me out. God, stop this situation. God, fix this. God, fix, you're saying, God, I, I know You're powerful. I know You're mighty, but God, I'm trusting that You have all things planned. You can work every situation for good. You will begin to align your words with what Scripture says. You begin to pray in alignment with heaven because your perspective's different. Christian worldview. Let the realities of heaven settle amidst your thoughts. I wonder what worries, what stresses, concerns might begin to get a different perspective. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.